0: And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. (laughs) We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is us. We're her problem. The only reason she has a problem is she doesn't want us here. And every time you look at yourself, be you black, brown, red, or yellow, a so-called Negro, you, are, you represent a person who poses such a serious problem for America because you're not wanted. Once you face this as a fact, then you can start plotting a course that will make you appear intelligent instead of unintelligent. What you and I need to do is learn to forget our differences. When we come together, we don't come together as Baptists or Methodists. You don't catch hell because you're a Baptist, and you don't catch hell because you're a Methodist. <laughs> you, don't, you don't catch hell because you're a Methodist or a Baptist. You don't catch hell because you're a Democrat or a Republican. You don't catch hell because you're a mason or an elk. And you sure don't catch hell because you're an American, because if you was an American, you wouldn't catch no hell. You catch hell because you're a black man. You catch hell. All of us catch hell for the same reason. So we are all black people, so-called Negroes, second-class citizens, ex-slaves. You are nothing but an ex-slave. You don't like to be told that. But what else are you? You are ex-slave. You didn't come here on the Mayflower. (laughs) You came here in a slave ship. In chains. Like a horse or a cow or a chicken. And you were brought here by the people who came here on the Mayflower. You were brought here by the so-called pilgrims or founding fathers. They were the ones who brought you here. We have a common enemy. We have this in common. We have a common oppressor, a common exploiter, and a common discriminator. So once we all realize that we have this common enemy, then we unite on the basis of what we have in common. And what we have foremost in common is that enemy, the white man. He's an enemy to all of us. I know some of you all think that some of them aren't enemies. Time will tell. In Bandung back in, I think, 1954 was the first unity meeting in centuries of black people. And once you study what happened at the Bandung Conference and the results of the Bandung Conference, it actually serves as a model for the same procedure you and I can use to get our problems solved. At Bandung, all the nations came together. They were dark nations from Africa and Asia. Some of them were Buddhists. Some of them were Muslim, some of them were Christian, some of them were Confucian, Confucianists, some were atheists. Despite their religious differences, they came together. Some were communists, some were socialists, some were capitalists. Despite, despite their economic and political differences, they came together. All of them were black, brown, red, or yellow. The number one thing that was not allowed to attend the Bandung Conference was the white man. He couldn't come. Once they excluded the white man, they found that they could get together. Once they kept him out, everybody else fell right in and fell in line. This is the thing that you and I have to understand. And these people who came together didn't have nuclear weapons, they didn't have jet planes, They didn't have all of the heavy armaments that the white man has, but they had unity. They were able to submerge their little petty differences and agree on one thing, that though one African came from Kenya and was being colonized by the Englishman, and another African came from the Congo and was being colonized by the Belgian, and another African came from Guinea and was being colonized by the French, and another came from Angola and was being colonized by the Portuguese. When they came to the Bandung Conference, they looked at the Portuguese and at the Frenchmen and at the Englishmen and at the, the other Dutchmen and, and learn or realize that the one thing that all of them had in common, they were all from Europe. They were all from, from they were all Europeans, blonde blue-eyed and white-skinned. They begin to recognize who their enemy was. The same man that was colonizing our people in Kenya was colonizing our people in the Congo. The same one in the Congo was colonizing our people in South Africa and in southern Rhodesia and in Burma and in India and in Afghanistan and in Pakistan. They realized all over the world where a dark man was being oppressed, he was being oppressed by the white man. Where the dark man was being exploited, he was being exploited by the white man. So they got together under this basis, that they had a common enemy. And when you and I are here in Detroit and in Michigan and in America, who have been awakened today, look around us, we too realize here in America, we all have a common enemy. Whether he's in Georgia or Michigan, whether he's in California or New York, he's the same man blue eyes, and blonde hair, and pale skin, same man. So what we have to do is what they did. They agreed to stop quarreling among themselves. Any little spat that they had, they'd settle it among themselves, go into a huddle. Don't let the enemy know that you got a disagreement. Instead of us airing our differences in public, we have to realize we're all the same family. And when you have a family squabble, you don't get out on the sidewalk. If you do, everybody calls you uncouth, unrefined, uncivilized savage. If you don't make it at home, you take you settle it at home. You get in the closet. Argue it out behind closed doors. And then when you come out on the street, you pose a common front, a united front. And this is what we need to do in the community and in the city and in the state. We need to stop airing our differences in front of the white man. Put the white man out of our meeting, number one. And then sit down and talk shop with each other. That's all you got to do. I would like to make a few comments concerning the difference between the black revolution and the negro revolution. There's a difference. Are they both the same? And if they're not, what is the difference? What is the difference between a black revolution and a negro revolution? First, what is a revolution? Sometimes I'm inclined to believe that many of our people are using this word revolution loosely without taking careful consideration what this word actually means and what its historic characteristics are. When you study the historic nature of revolutions, the motive of a revolution, the objective of a revolution, and the result of a revolution, and the methods used in a revolution. You may change words. You may devise another program. You may change your goal and you may change your mind. Look at the American Revolution. In 1776, that revolution was for what? For land. How was it? Why did they want land? Independence. How was it carried out? Bloodshed. Number one, it was based on land, the basis of independence, and the only way they could get it was bloodshed. The French Revolution, what was it based on? The landless against the landlord. What was it for? Land. How did they get it? Bloodshed. Was no love lost. Was no compromise. Was no negotiation. I'm telling you, you don't know what a revolution is. Because when you find out what it is, you'll get back in the alley. You'll get out of the way. moment the russian revolution what was it based on land the landless against the landlord how did they bring it about bloodshed you haven't got a revolution that doesn't involve bloodshed and you're afraid to bleed i said you're afraid to bleed long as the white man send you to korea you bled He sent you to Germany, you bled. He sent you to the South Pacific to fight the Japanese, you bled. You bleed for white people. But when it comes time to seeing your own churches being bombed and little black girls murdered, you haven't got no blood. bleed when the white man says, bleed. You bite when the white man says, bite. And you bark when the white man says, bark. I hate to say this about us, but it's true. How you gonna be nonviolent in Mississippi as violent as you were in Korea? How can you justify being nonviolent in Mississippi, in Alabama, when your churches are being bombed and your little girls are being murdered? And at the same time, you're going to get violent with Hitler and Tojo and somebody else that you don't even know. (laughs) If violence is wrong in America, violence is wrong abroad. If it's wrong to be violent, defending black women and black children and black babies and black men then it's wrong for America to draft us and make us violent abroad in defense of her. The Chinese Revolution. They wanted land. They threw the British out, along with the Uncle Tom Chinese. Yeah, they did. They set a good example. When I was in prison, I read an article in... Don't be shocked when I say I was in prison. You still in prison. (laughs) That's what America means, prison. When I was in prison, I read an article in Life magazine showing a little Chinese girl, nine years old, her father was on his hands and knees, and she was pulling the trigger, because he was an Uncle Tom Chinaman. When they had the revolution over there, they took a whole generation of Uncle Toms, just wiped them out. And within 10 years, that little girl became a full-grown woman. No more Toms in China. (laughs) And today, today is one of the toughest, roughest, most feared countries on this earth, by the white man, because there are no Uncle Toms over there. Of all our studies, history is best qualified to reward all research. And when you see that you got problems, all you have to do is examine the historic method used all over the world by others who had problems similar to yours. And once you see how they got theirs straight, then you know how you can get yours straight. There's been a revolution, a black revolution, going on in Africa. In Kenya, the Mau Mau were revolutionaries. They were the ones who made the word Uhuru. They were the ones who brought it to the fore. The Mau Mau, they were revolutionaries. They believed in scorched earth. They knocked everything aside that got in their path. And their revolution also was based on land, a desire for land. In Algeria, the northern part of Africa, a revolution took place. The Algerians were revolutions. They wanted land. France offered to let them be integrated into France. They told France to hell with France. They wanted some land, not some France. (laughs) And they engaged in a bloody battle. So I cite these various revolutions, brothers and sisters, to show you, you don't have a peaceful revolution. You don't have a a turn-the-other-cheek revolution. There's no such thing as a nonviolent revolution. Only thing, only kind of revolution that's nonviolent is the Negro Revolution. The only revolution based on loving your enemy is the Negro Revolution. The only revolution in which the goal is a desegregated lunch counter, a desegregated theater, a desegregated park, and a desegregated public toilet. You can sit down next to white folks on the toilet. That's no revolution. (laughs) Revolution is based on land. Land is the basis of all independence. Land is the basis of freedom, justice, and equality. The white man knows what a revolution is. He knows that the black revolution is worldwide, in scope, and in nature. The black revolution is sweeping Asia, sweeping Africa. It's rearing its head in Latin America. The Cuban Revolution, that's a revolution. They overturned the system. Revolution is in Asia. Revolution is in Africa. And the white man is screaming because he sees revolution in Latin America. How do you think he'll react to you when you learn what a real revolution is? You don't know what a revolution is. If you did, you wouldn't use that word. A revolution is bloody. Revolution is hostile. Revolution knows no compromise. Revolution overturns and destroys everything that gets in its way. And you sitting around here like a not on these folks, no matter how much they hate me. No, you need a revolution. heard of a revolution where they lock arms as Reverend Cleague was pointing out beautifully singing we shall overcome (laughs) just tell me you don't do that in a revolution you don't do any singing you're too busy swinging based on land, a revolutionary wants land so he can set up his own nation, an independent nation. These Negroes aren't asking for no nation, they're trying to crawl back on the plantation. When you want a nation, that's called nationalism. When the, when the white man became involved in a revolution in this country against England, what was it for? He wanted this land so he could set up another white nation. That's white nationalism. The American Revolution was white nationalism. The French Revolution was white nationalism. The uh, Russian Revolution too, yes, it was white nationalism. You don't think so? Why you think Khrushchev and Mel can't get their heads together? White nationalism. All the revolutions that's going on in in Asia, in Africa today, are based on what? Black nationalism. A revolutionary is a black nationalist. He wants a nation. I was reading some beautiful uh, words by Reverend Cleve pointing out why he couldn't get together with someone else here in the city. <laughs> because all all of them were afraid of being identified with black nationalism. If you're afraid of black nationalism, you're afraid of revolution. And if you love revolution, you love black nationalism.